Well, if you were with us last week, you know that things were a little bit different as we kicked off this new sermon series. Here's somebody's iPhone. There we go. As we kicked off this new sermon series um, called Citizens of Heaven, as we're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so this week we're continuing in this series. And um, I'm excited that you've come back. I know the chairs are a little bit different. Um, but we're, we're going to be mixing it up, trying some different things um, to help you engage with the Scripture and the stories. And, and so this morning, some of you know that I'm, I'm a newlywed, right? How long does newlywed last? Like six months, a year? I, I don't know how long it lasts, but Emily and I are newlyweds. Why are y'all laughing? I don't know why y'all laughing. So we're newlyweds. We're, you know, we're still at that phase where we're kind of figuring things out. You know, we're at the beginning. Um, we're trying to figure out different roles we have in the household. Currently, we tend to both kind of share some things. Like we both take out the trash. We both do laundry. Um, it's kind of ended up that she tends to cook, but I tend to clean. Um, but one role in our household has become solidified so far at this point. And that is that I am the person who gets the mail every day. And now, who here gets the mail in your household? Okay, so some of you share, but a lot of you, it's very distinct. So I get the mail, but it's a great job for me because I love getting the mail. Every day I pull in my driveway, I walk down. If it's after 3 o'clock, I open up the mailbox, I get the mail. I love all mail, Any, even the ads. All of the ads, I go through about all the local businesses and read the coupons. I open the junk mail. Since I'm in a new house, I get mail for other people, and I'm, I'm such a good citizen. I write return to sender, and I put it in the mailbox and send it back. So they get taken off. I love mail. Sometimes I feel like I even order packages on Amazon just so that I will get mail that I can open up and experience that little bit of joy inside of me. But there's one type of mail that is above all other types of mail, and that is the handwritten letter, right? The handwritten letter is something amazing to get in your mailbox. I've gotten a few since I've been at my new house. And there's just something special about a handwritten letter because in our culture which is so focused on instant gratification. You know, it's easy to shoot off a text. It's easy to send an email. Now we can FaceTime and talk with someone instantly. But there's a level of intentionality behind a handwritten letter. Because someone literally had to go find a card. They sat down. They wrote out the letter. They went and found a stamp, which isn't super easy to do. They put it in the mailbox. They sent it off. And they don't even get to see your reaction when you open it. That's why I love handwritten letters. I love receiving them. So you can send them to me here at the church. I'll be happy to receive them. Um, I like sending them to other people as well. And, you know, Emily, in the time we've been dating, she's discovered this about me, that I love receiving letters from people. And so for my 30th birthday... She gave me the greatest birthday gift I've ever received. And it, it's right here in these pages. And it is 30 mostly handwritten letters from my closest friends, closest family members, and mentors throughout my life. She, she asked all of them if they would write me a letter. And they sent them to her. And she surprised me on my birthday with this book of letters. And as I opened it up and I read it, I mean, I wept, right? I wept tears of joy, um, tears of laughter as I, I read old stories from people. And I mean, it was awesome to receive this. And every once in a while, I'll go back through and I'll read some of these letters in here um, to warm my heart or to, to get some encouragement. And 
as I've been reading through them lately, I, I've discovered that there's a lot of similarities between this book of letters and Paul's letter to the Philippians, which we're going to be studying in the weeks ahead. I mean, these letters are all written from, from friends. To me, they're letters of friendship. And Paul's letter to the Philippians is a letter of friendship and well. In these pages are great words of encouragement and affirmation. And, and Paul gave the Philippians encouragement and affirmation as well. Some of these letters, people give me kind of advice or wisdom about things up ahead in life. And Paul does that for the Philippians in their letters. And some of these um, talk about Jesus and partnership in the gospel and our relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're very encouraging in that way. And one of the things that these letters share in common with Paul's letter as well is that they have an introduction, right? If you've ever written a letter, if, I don't think they teach that in school anymore, but if you took it in school, you know, you put the date and then you have an introduction in the letter. And a lot of times we're tempted to skip over introductions, but introductions tell us a lot about what is to come in the letter. And so like if, if I just open this up and I read the introduction from one of these. Happy birthday, babe, smiley face. You are my favorite person, my best friend, and the love of my life. Can y'all guess who wrote that letter? Yes, thankfully, that was Emily, right? And this letter was really, it was a love letter. And the introduction said a lot about what was to come. Here's another one. See if you can get this one. Dear Jonathan, 30? I felt old when you were in preschool because I was one of the older parents. Now, I feel mature. Who, who do you think wrote that one? Mom, yeah, come on, mom, right? You know, My mom wrote that one. And this letter, it was very reflective, looking back at my childhood and different funny stories um, as I've grown up in the years. And now, here, I'll give you one more. This one's a little bit harder. Jonathan, because of Jesus, you are a child of God the Father Most High, bought with the blood of Jesus, who loves you so much, he would rather die than live without you. Pastor, right? Who else writes like that? Nobody writes like that except preachers. That was one of my preacher buddies um, who wrote that to me. You know, so intense. And that whole letter was about Jesus Christ and encouraging me spiritually. And so the introduction to letters tell us important things about what's to come. And so this morning, as we begin studying Paul's letter to the Philippians together, we're going to focus on the introduction to the letter. Last week, if you were here with us, we had a fun kind of experiential service and we zoomed out on the letter to the Philippians and we heard the whole thing spoken over us, the whole entire letter from beginning to end. Well, this week we're focusing on just the introduction in verses 1 through 11. And so to share our scripture reading with us this morning, I want to invite up Lucas, um, who is going to speak, um, who's going to read this scripture to us. Actually, he's not going to read it. He's going to recite it to us. Philippians 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along or on the insert um, that's in your bulletin. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, 
all of you sharing God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So a letter often has three parts, an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. And an introduction in Paul's letters often have three parts as well. It has a greeting, it has words of thanksgiving, and then it has a prayer report. And, and so if we just look at this introduction right here, we see the greeting Paul gives in verses 1 and 2. And if you notice, Paul says this, he, it begins, Paul and Timothy. And, and most scholars agree that the reason why Timothy is listed here as well is that Paul would have been verbally dictating this letter and Timothy would have been the scribe writing it down. And so Timothy is writing it down and then they're sending it off together. And what's interesting is that they label themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. I mean, you know, you can label yourself in many different ways, but here they're saying our primary label is that we are servants we are in service. We are under Jesus Christ and under His authority. And so in the greeting section, we, we learn a little bit about them. And then we have this Thanksgiving section in verses 3 through 8, where Paul is giving thanks for the people. And what you discovered here, even in this introduction, is that Paul, he doesn't just love these people. He has great, deep affection for these people. He doesn't just love them with generic Christian love. He really likes these people. They're his friends. And we read that he is in chains. He says, whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, you share in God's grace with me. And that's a reference to Paul being in chains as he is writing this letter. He's locked up in Rome on some false charges, and he's been appealing it, and so he's now there. He's been there for a few years, and he's writing this letter from prison. And then finally, in 9 through 11, we get the prayer report. And here we find that he's praying that their love would grow more and more until the day of Christ Jesus. That is, until Christ's return. And here in this introduction, we begin to see one of the key reasons why Paul is writing to the Philippians. And that is his deep belief in what we find in verse 6. If you have verse 6, if you have your worship notes, you can underline this section. We have it here on the screen. Paul says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We all read that with me together. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This was one of Paul's core beliefs. And this belief led him to write this letter to the Philippians. See, Paul, he knew the Philippians very well. He actually helped start the church. In Acts chapter 16, we read the story. As Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, went to the area and he found a group of women who were praying by the riverside. And they were open to him and he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with him. They came to saving faith in Christ and they were baptized. And the church began. And then we read that there was a jailer who, who was actually locked Paul up in prison, but through some crazy circumstances you can read about, Paul became free, and the jailer came to faith in Jesus Christ as well. He and his whole family 
were baptized. But here's the thing. For Paul, and for many people in our culture, well, let's just say this. For many people in our culture, and even back then, there's a view of salvation that goes like this, that, that once we're saved, once we're baptized, that's really the end. That's the finish line, and that is the ultimate goal. But when we look at Paul's life and his ministry, we see that that's not how things went for him. Paul, yes, he wanted people to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted them to become citizens of heaven. But Paul didn't just leave them after that. He didn't just say, you know what, everything's good, guys. I've got to go on to a new city and do a next revival and get more decisions for Christ. No, Paul stayed with them. He discipled them. He encouraged them in the faith. He helped them grow. Because Paul knew that God's grace wanted to work in people continually. And so he stayed in Philippi and he taught the people. He, he, he went back after he had gone, after he had left, and he shared with them for many years. He kept returning, and now he's sending to them there again. Paul knew that God's good work that he began in people, that it didn't just end at their decision to follow Jesus Christ and to surrender their life to him. He knew that it continued for the journey of their lifetime. And so now he's writing this letter to the Philippians to continue to encourage them to allow God's grace to work in their life. And Paul was a great messenger for this message because when Paul looked at his own life, he knew that God's grace had been at work in his life from the very beginning. God's grace had been at work drawing Paul to himself. In Paul's early years, he studied the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. He became a scholar, which helped him later in life reach people for Jesus Christ. If you know Paul's conversion story, you know that God's grace did an amazing and a miraculous work in him on the road to Damascus. But here's the thing, Paul's journey didn't stop there. God, who began a good work in him, continued to lead him, continued to grow him. God continued to pour out his grace in Paul's life. And as Paul was in prison... God's grace helped him trust more. As Paul shared the love of Jesus Christ, he began to experience the love of Jesus Christ more in his heart. He began to love other people more. As Paul traveled the world and faced a lot of adversity, his faith grew. He knew that God was never done working in him. And so here as he writes to the Philippians, he's telling them, look, God's not done with you either. Even though you're facing hardship and challenges. And here's an interesting thing. The Philippians also encouraged Paul with this same message. You see, they had this gospel-centered friendship. And so when Paul was in prison, the Philippians, they didn't just say, well, he's in prison, we can't do anything. No, they sent him letters, they sent him packages, they sent him resources to encourage him and to let him know, hey, God isn't done working in you yet. They had this back-and-forth relationship as they both encouraged each other with this deep truth about God, that God's grace is never done working in anybody. And that is something that we have to remind each other of as well. That God's grace is never done with any of us. Because it's so easy for us to forget that. It's so easy for us to forget this, that God isn't done working in you. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them that right now. God isn't done working in you. This is a truth that is very easy for us to forget. 
And as a preacher, it's easy for me to stand up here this morning and say, hey, God isn't done working in you. And it's easy for you to look at me and say, you don't know about what's going on in my life. And so you can ignore that message, which is why we need to be connected beyond Sunday morning and have friendships that are rooted in Jesus Christ. That's why we were highlighting all of the groups we have for you to connect with other people here in the church because we need other people in our lives who know our life and who see it on a daily basis, who can look at us, point to our lives and say, look, look at what you're facing, but look at how God is still at work in you. Because what happens so often for us is that we're going through life And we're experiencing the pains of divorce or the pains of a job loss. And it's easy for us to believe, you know what, I feel like God's done with me. What happens is we're going through life and we face adversity in our homes or in our workplaces. And we think that God just might be ignoring us. Or we look back at our life and we know that we had a powerful encounter with Jesus Christ at some point. We know that God used to work in our life, but we feel like, you know what, maybe I'm getting older because of these medical issues or whatever. Maybe, maybe God's done with me. But the good news is that God is never done with any of us. God isn't done working in you. Even as Paul is writing in prison with chains around him, he's able to say this I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That truth gave Paul great joy. It gave him hope because he knew that even though he was locked up, even though he was having difficult times, God wasn't done with him yet. And I know here in this worship center that there are countless stories of how God has been at work in your lives through the good times, through the bad times, and the ugly times. And I don't know all the stories yet. I hope over time to get to hear some of them. But I think it's so important for us to share how God's grace has been at work in our lives so that other people can be encouraged, so that other people can know this truth as well, that God is never done with any of us. And so this morning, rather than giving you kind of a generic sermon illustration in this slot right here, I want to invite my friend Thomas forward because Thomas is going to share with us a little bit about how God has been at work throughout his entire life. So would would y'all give Thomas a round of applause for coming up here? Thomas, you nervous? Yes. All right. That's good. That's good. God is with us even when we are nervous. So, Thomas, we we met the other day and talked about God's grace. And if you're not familiar with this term, God's grace, it's really a word that means God's undeserved, unearned power and presence, his love at work in our life. And so, here in your life story, I know when you were young, from a very young age, God's grace was at work in your life, drawing, him to him, drawing you to himself through your family, especially your grandmother, yes. as they, they took you to church and you were baptized as a child, you came to know Jesus Christ. And tell us about the next season of your life, though, because God was clearly at work in your life at that point, but then 
you kind of started to push back a little bit. Tell us about that. Well, I went to the Army, mm. 1979 to 83, and I, I let Jesus go. Mm. I became in the world. I went to the world doing my own thing, just out there. Mm. And some things changed. Yeah. Things started happening. So you kind of felt like, you know, God was at work in your life. He was pursuing you, but you were kind of shutting the door on his grace and just kind of running away from him. And then something kind of, I mean, something terrible happened in your life. You had an aneurysm. Tell us about that. Well, after the world thing, I was at home sitting there arguing with my girlfriend and I got a headache so bad that I was screaming. So I ended up walking to the hospital in a small town that I lived in. And uh, I screamed so loud that I was bleeding all through the brain. And uh, all of a sudden, they just had to rush me from one hospital to another, to another hospital saying, I'm not going to make it, that you're bleeding all in the brain, put me in the ICU for some days and days. Then I had somebody come and lay hands on me. And at that moment, uh, they couldn't find no blood. They couldn't find nothing wrong with me. I was in there for nine days. Um, you know, they called my parents in, my whole family, and said, "This is it." You know, but once he, I didn't believe in all that laying hands and all this stuff. But it's. I'm here today. So. Yeah, so, so in that moment, yeah, he's here today, right? It's proof. Um, so in that moment, you had the aneurysm. Your friend came and laid pr- hands on you, prayed for you. I mean, God's grace worked in you to work a miracle. And what kind of happened after that? What, how did God continue to work in your life? What changes did you experience after that? I started going back to church, but, you know, I was still straddling the fence. Hmm. I was still on this side and the other side, trying to fake and shake, you know, make hmm. people think I'm really saved, but all of a sudden I get to, he get to working in me, I got to seeing stuff, and he get, I got more praying, and more stuff I got to see showing me, and I got to seeing more of Jesus working in me, hmm. working in me. So. so when you say straddling the fence, um, you know, some people might be familiar with that phrase, but what do you mean by that? You, you were coming to church on Sunday, but then what was the rest of the week like? Partying, smoking some weed, okay. hanging out in the streets. Yeah. Still doing, but working, but still doing stuff. So kind of halfway yes. in, ca- halfway yes. out, almost like halfway open to God at yes. work in your life. Wow. And then more tragedy struck. Yes. What happened? My dad died on my birthday. Six months later, my mom died. Then I lost my job. It closed down. I didn't lose it. It closed down. So now I'm the youngest of 13 kids. I'm the youngest boy, so I was close to my mom and dad. So losing them back to back was strategy to me. Mm. So I said, Lord, I just hit my knees. So here I am. So I came to Georgia on the bus with one pair, one pair of shoes, two pair of shirts, two shirts and a pair of pants. You know. Wow. So you, in that moment, you you kind of surrendered everything to God. Everything to Him. I was through. I just hit my knees. And you came to Georgia. And what's God been doing in your life in this last season? Oh, I came to Georgia. I didn't want no wife. I didn't want no kids. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted nothing but Jesus. And went to start going to church. 
And God gave me a wife, a wonderful wife, two kids, and just blessings after blessings after blessings has been happening to my life. Wow. But then my kidneys quit. Mm. So here I go again. Why me? But all the blessings I've been through, all this, and said, why am I crying? Why am mm. I laying here saying, why me? But he just keep just blessing me after blessing. But I'm fighting like, here I am again. Why? What mm. have I done? What have I done? I'm, I'm here crying to him. What have I done? Yeah. Well, they deserve another. Now I can't. I need a kidney. Now you give me these kids, and I need a kidney. But mm. doors are opening up. My wife is supportive. Mm. Well, she knows some days she hates me, but you know. <laughs> well, I'm I'm still learning <laughs> yeah, too. So. I'm learning. Um, Cause this tongue, this right here, yeah, is deadly. Yeah, the there's tongue. there's life and death in the power of so, the tongue, and so even now as you're facing challenges. I mean, you're, you're kind of this living testimony that, that God has never done with any of us. And even now, even though your life's not, not perfect, it's not all cleaned up, um, God is still at work in you. And um, if you didn't know, Thomas needs a kidney. So if you're willing to talk with him about that, um, it's a tangible way you can love him. So talk with him after the service. Um, but Thomas's story helps show us that no matter what difficulties you're yes. going through, God isn't done working in you yet. So let's give Thomas a round of applause for sharing his story with us this morning. Appreciate <laughs> mm. God isn't done working in any of us yet. Not Thomas, not me, not you. Paul believed that, and it led him to... to reach out and love and to continue to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ who lived in Philippi. But Paul didn't just believe that God wasn't done working in them. He also believed that God wasn't done working through them. As I mentioned before, the Philippians were facing a lot of challenges. I mentioned this last week, but there was some conflict in Philippi because the Christians, they proclaimed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But in their culture... Nero, the Roman emperor, was worshipped with the titles Lord and Savior. Those were political terms for them. And so there was this conflict because the Christians, they couldn't give allegiance to Nero like that because they knew that their primary citizenship was in heaven. Their primary citizenship wasn't to Rome, even though they lived there and they were citizens. And so they were facing these challenges. But Paul, in his letters, he encourages them to not give up, to not be downcast. He encourages them to be of one mind, and of one spirit, and to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Because Paul knew this, that as they allowed God to work in them, that then God could work through them. And he says later that as God works in them and through them, that they will shine like stars in the heaven. As they're in the midst of this dark culture, as they're facing challenges, Paul knew that as God worked in them, God could work through them to shine brighter and to draw people to Jesus Christ. And Paul was a credible messenger for this message as well because Paul's life was a testament to this, right? That God was never done working through any of us. Paul is in prison writing these letters to the church in Philippi and to other churches. I don't know about you, but if I was locked up in prison, I don't think I would be sitting around writing letters of encouragement to people. 
I think instead I would be complaining on Facebook or I would start some kind of petition online, right? I would be bemoaning my situation, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul, in verse 12 of chapter 1, he writes this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everybody else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's chains didn't keep God from working in him or through him. He actually used them as an opportunity so that God could work through him. And in this letter, he's telling the Philippians, look, you're facing challenges outside of yourselves. You're facing challenges that we're going to talk about in the future inside of your own community. But don't worry. You can have hope. You can have joy. Because even in the midst of the challenges, God wants to work through you. The good news for you this morning is that God doesn't want to just work in you. God isn't done working through you either. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them this, because this is easy for us to forget as well. Tell them. Okay, we're going to do that again. Tell your other neighbor. Y'all are real quiet like you don't believe this. Tell your other neighbor, God isn't done working through you. God's grace... God's grace does a good work in us so that He can do good works through us. God fills us up with His love, with His power, with His presence, with His grace, and with His mercy so we can pour ourselves out for other people. But just like we tend to believe, you know what, my situation's too tough, it's too complicated, God can't work in me, so often we try to disqualify ourselves from God working through us as well. We say... God, you know my past. You know that I I can't be of any help in this church. You know my story. It's not redeemable. And God says, yes, it is. I'm working in you and I can work through you as well, even though your life is in process and it isn't perfect yet. So often what we'll say to other people is, we'll say, you know what, I I can't help with leading anything in this church. I, I can't volunteer with anybody. I don't know enough. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good with people. And God is saying, I have uniquely gifted you. I can work through you. So often, I mean, we think, you know what, I haven't been in church a while. I don't know as much about the Bible as I want to. We try to disqualify ourselves, but God is saying to you, to me, and to us as a church, He's not done working through us yet. He wants to continue to work in us and through us for His glory and for His honor in this world. God wants to work through us to bless the entire world. And one of the ways we're going to be doing that is through Operation Christmas Child. As we send boxes of love to to children in all parts of the developing world who are in need. God's telling us this morning that He's not done working through us. He wants us to to help serve other people in our country. And so this week, we sent 30-plus box fans off to help support people with the hurricanes. 
God wants to work through us to reveal the love of Jesus Christ to our community. So we're kicking off Return to Bethlehem. And we're going to show our community in an exciting and in a tangible way God's great love for them through Jesus Christ. God wants to work through you to help you reach your family, your friends, and your co-workers with His transforming grace. And so often what that looks like is it looks like you simply opening up, risking vulnerability like Thomas did, and sharing how God has worked in your own life. Because as people see how God has worked in your own life, they're able to catch a glimpse of how God might work in their lives as well. And in our conversation Thomas and I had the other day, he said this one thing I loved. As we were kind of going through his entire life and trying to, trying to summarize it into a few minutes, he ended it by saying this, God still has a story to tell. And that's true for you this morning. God still has a story to tell. The end has yet to be written. God wants to work in you. God wants to work through you. And so this week, I want to leave you with these two questions that I want you to ask God this week. The first question is this. God, what do you want to do next in me? What, what does that look like? Is that God wanting to, to help you forgive someone? Is that God wanting you to know his love in a deeper way? I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to ask God that. God, what do you want to do next in me? And then I want you to ask this second question. God, what do you want to do next through me? Keep these at the forefront of your mind this week. Talk about these with your spouse if you have one, with people in your household. Encourage one another with these questions as you explore together how God wants to work in you and through you. But I don't want us to just think about these and talk about them with other people. I also want you to ask these to God this week. And as we close this morning, I, I want to give you a few minutes in prayer, where you can simply stop, step back, reflect, and ask God these two questions. I want to give you some time where you can simply tell God where you feel like you are in your relationship with Him. Maybe tell God what you feel like you need next. Ask God what He wants to do next in you. Then also, Pray and ask God what He wants to do next through you. Who might, be, who might God be calling you to reach out to? Who are the people around you that God might be wanting you to serve? I can't answer that question for you. No, no preacher can. But God wants to give you the answer. And so as we close in this time of prayer this morning, I want to... I want to invite some of you out of your comfort zones. So I want to invite you to put your hands out in front of you like this. And as we begin this time in prayer, I want you to pray to God, asking Him this first question with your hands out in front of you in this posture of receiving, in a posture of receiving God's grace as you ask Him 
God, what do you want to do next in me? So I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And for the next minute or so, just simply talk with God. Ask Him this question. And wait for Him to speak through His Word, through His Spirit, and through others. you to continue to keep that posture of prayer. Keep your heads bowed. But I want to offer an invitation right now. If during these moments of prayer you felt like the thing that God wanted to do in you, what's next for you is to begin a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you feel like that's what God is wanting for you, if that's what God is working in your heart this morning, you might not even know exactly what that means. If that's you, I want to invite you to simply keep your hands out and just just stand for a second. If you feel like God wants to begin a relationship with you today, you may be seated. Amen, amen. If that was you, I want to invite you during the the final song. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk with you after the service as we continue to explore what that looks like together to to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. So now what I want everybody to do is to, to turn your hands over. To turn your hands over facing the floor out in front of you in this posture of of giving. In the next few moments of prayer, I want you to to pray to God and ask Him this. God, what do you want to do next through me?
Almighty God, we thank you for your great love. For your son, Jesus Christ, for the cross that he endured and for his resurrection that secured our victory. God, the empty tomb is a reminder to us that no matter how bad things look in our lives, you are never done working in us. And God, I know that in here people are facing many different circumstances, facing many unique challenges. And we pray this morning that you would remind each of us in our hearts that you're not done working through us either. God, I pray that this week you would bring people into our lives. You would bring people to our minds. God, you would help show us who you want us to love and serve this week, who you want us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ for. And God, as a church, we also remember this morning that you're not done working in us and you're not done working through us either. And so as we reach out beyond ourselves in love, we pray that you would open doors. God, we pray that that you would open facilities, that you would open offices. God, you would open resources for us as we seek to share the good news of your son with other people. God, we thank you for your love and that you've never given up on us. God, we pray that we would open our hearts to your spirit and your grace this morning. Amen. I want to invite you to stand and as we sing.